Hi, I'm Phil Morehart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. The 2019 ALA Midwinter Meeting and Exhibits is upon us. It's next week, in fact, January 25th through 29th. This year, we'll be in Seattle for five days of speakers, panels, forums, networking, and an overall celebration of librarianship. And that's great, of course, but what do you do when you're not doing that? If you're like me, you try to experience as much of our host cities as possible during these ALA events. But where to begin? Well, we have you covered. This month on the Dewey Decimal Podcast, we get tips on where to eat, what to see, and what to do during the ALA Midwinter Meeting in Seattle. First, American Library's Managing Editor Tara Dinkowski talks with travel guru Rick Steves on his favorite off-the-beaten-path sites in the Seattle area and how to pack light for a trip. Then Tara talks with Tori Mann, chef at Seattle restaurant Lola, about her favorite spots to eat in the city and more. And finally, I talk with Emily Cavanis. She's a librarian at the Seattle Opera about music happenings and much more in Seattle during midwinter. But first, here's a word from a sponsor. Are you interested in starting your own podcast? Of course you are. Then join me at the American Library Association's Midwinter Meeting and Exhibition in Seattle, Washington on Saturday, January 26th at 11 a.m. for So You Want a Podcast, a panel discussion that I'm hosting on the pop-top stage in the exhibit hall. You can hear me and several other library podcasters, well, just talk about podcasting, how we got into it, what were our inspirations, what kind of equipment do we use, uh, how do we promote and brand our podcasts? How did we talk our colleagues and higher-ups administrators into taking a risk and letting us talk on air for hours and hours on end? And also, we'll have tips on how you can start your own podcast. So, join us Saturday, January 26, 11 a.m. for So You Want to Podcast on the Pop Top Stage. And also, don't forget, there is still time to register for the ALA Midwinter Meeting. Join us for five days of panels, forums, and speakers, including Melinda Gates, Rick Steves, and many more. And of course, don't forget the podcast panel. You can visit 2019.alamidwinter.org for more information and to register. I'll see you there. Rick Steves needs no introduction, but he's getting one anyways. The American author, television host, and activist has made it his life's work to educate people on broadening their perspectives through world travel. Rick, who lives just outside of Seattle, will be speaking at the ALA Midwinter Meeting on Sunday, January 27th. American Library's Managing Editor Tara Dinkowski spoke with him recently about his favorite spots in the city and much more. Later this month, uh, 10,000 librarians will descend upon your hometown for ALA's Midwinter Meeting, uh, where you'll be speaking. And I'm sure they'd love to get a few recommendations from Rick Steves. So, to borrow terminology from your guidebooks, what are some of the must-see sites in Seattle? Oh no! Everybody thinks, or a lot of people think that I would be because I'm, I'm. They like my guidebooks for Europe, that I would have some great tips for my hometown, and I'm always reluctant because I I spend so much. I spend four months a year in Europe, and when I'm home, I'm pretty much barricaded here in my office up in Edmonds, half hour north of Seattle. But I've, I'm proud of to be a Seattleite, and I've. Um, 
um, raised here. And uh, when I have a guest in Seattle, I recommend uh, the Underground Seattle Tour. It's a, just an entertaining, fun look at uh, Pioneer Seattle, Underground Seattle Tour. Also, um, our hometown artist is our, our, we're proud of Dale Chihuly, the great glass artist. And um, there's a wonderful the Dale Chihuly Garden and Glass uh, Center, which is uh, like a, it's an art gallery combined with a garden and wonderful, wonderful display of his glasswork. And it's uh, immediately under the Space Needle in downtown Seattle. So the, the Dale Chihuly Garden and Glass would be great to see. Also, um, uh, there's uh, Ballard Locks, and that's just a longtime favorite where there. It's free, and the community gathers down there, and boats come through, and salmon come through, and everything. And if you want to connect with nature in Seattle, we have the Arboretum by the University of Washington, which is delightful. Uh, we have a, a long, skinny park uh, with modern art sculpture garden in it, and that's Myrtle Edwards Park, uh, which is just between the Space Needle and the waterfront. And uh, the go-to place for anybody that wants a two- or three-mile walk is to go to Green Lake and walk around Green Lake. That's a beautiful thing, day or night, rain or shine. And to your comment that, you know, you're based in Edmonds, um, do you have any recommendations for maybe some off-the-beaten-path or hidden gem places for those who might have a little more time in the area or would be mm -hmm. willing to kind of venture out beyond city limits? Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess you mentioned 10,000 libraries are going to come to Seattle here. Uh, I, if you had a, a, a couple of days or a day before or after the convention um, or some substantial free time, well, the easy, immediate thing is to ride a ferry across Puget Sound. From downtown Seattle, you go over to Bainbridge, get out, walk around. Uh, it's a charming little way to get away from the big city. And wonderful views as you sail. It's just 30 minutes in each direction. So that's the kind of slam dunk thing to do to get out of town. If you want to go on a road trip, I would cross the Puget Sound and drive around the Olympic Peninsula. And the Olympic Peninsula to me is just, it's just majestic. And uh, there's a town called Port Townsend, which is a turn-of-the-century company town with wonderful Victorian architecture. And then when you drive all the way around to the ocean coast, of course, you're, you've got the Olympic National Park. And there's something called the Ho River Valley. And that's a great place to take a little walk through a temperate rainforest. And I understand there's lots of tropical rainforests, but this is one of the only temperate rainforests on the planet. And it's just gorgeous, and it, it explains to you why Seattleites, I think, uh, enjoy the rain. I'm, I'm a good Seattleite, and I feel like I live in a terrarium. I feel like kind of a human lizard in a terrarium, and some people really like that. And the rainforest will show you the, the charm and the wonder of, of uh, the lush environment that we have here. And then if you're way out there by the whole River Valley in the Olympic National Park, you can drive up and down the Oregon co or the uh, Washington coast, which goes all the way down to Oregon. And uh, the ocean coast there is, is just uh, dramatic. There's beautiful walks along the ocean coast. You're making me wish I had I had more time in the area. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <this> yeah. <laughs> um, Rick, so many, many librarians who attend um, these conferences kind of struggle with what to pack and how much space to leave in their luggage for books or uh, souvenirs they might want to bring home. I was just wondering, uh, what are your essential packing tips for a short trip? Mm. Well, I never check a bag, so um, I always like to just use a carry-on airplane size bag, 9 by 22 by 14, 14 inches. That's part of my um, shtick when I'm teaching people how to travel to Europe, um, and it lets you be mobile. Uh, I, I have a soft-sided bag rather than a hard-sided uh, roller bag, so it always can squeeze in the lockers above the seats on the airplane. Uh, it's just it's a real luxury for me. If I'm going to a convention where I think I'll be coming back with a lot of things, 
I like to take along a very sturdy um, auxiliary bag that I can fill up with things, and then I can check that on the way home. Uh, but I would say um, I'm not a good one to ask about uh, you know extra things to bring because I'm really fanatic about packing light. I would remind people that uh, you should plan for lousy weather when in when you're in Seattle, uh, and uh, just like in places in, in rainy parts of Europe, they say there's no bad weather, just inappropriate clothing. So. So bring clothing that lets you be outdoors a bit and enjoy uh, the, the beauties of Seattle without having to stay inside if it's raining. Good advice. And um, and you you know this is a question for um, for you. Uh, you've remarked that you've spent one third of your adult life living out of a suitcase, and I was curious: is there still a place that you haven't seen that you would like to visit? I heard there's a cool park outside of uh, San Francisco called Yosemite. You ever heard of that? <laughs> I think I've heard of I, it. I just, you know, it's so funny. I, I know Europe really well, but I'm not as well-traveled as you'd think because I've dedicated all of my, most of my travel time to Europe because that's my beat and that's my responsibility, and I'm so thankful for that. I just endlessly love going to Europe, making mistakes, taking careful notes, and designing that experience into guidebooks or TV shows or tours so other people can travel better in Europe. But someday I'd really like to get out and travel around our country more and get to know our country better and uh, there's much of the world that I'd, I'd love to see, but um, I just, you know, I don't, I don't even need a vacation. I just love going to Europe. Uh, it's endlessly challenging and it's endlessly rewarding for me to have found my niche where I can uh, uh, help Americans better understand Europe, which I see as the, the springboard, uh, the waiting pool for, for, for world exploration. And uh, I'm really thankful for that. And I am really looking forward to sharing my passion for getting out and, and uh, getting out of our comfort zone and embracing uh, the world and finding people uh, that find different truths, self-evident and God-given that we can compare notes with. And, and that's what I'll be sharing coming up at the uh, Convention for the American Library Association. ALA Job List is the award-winning source for jobs in library science and technology. If you're looking for a new job or an employer who wants to advertise a job opening, JobList has you covered. Job seekers can refine and filter searches by position type, employer, or location, post resumes, and automate alerts to never miss a posting. Employers can rest easy knowing that ALA reaches the engaged professionals that they want to hire. It also simplifies recruiting by offering flat rate pricing, discounted multi-ad packages, and enhanced postings for increased visibility. ALA JobList where job seekers and employers get results. Visit joblist.ala.org for more information or to begin your search today. Get on the list. As chef of Lola, one of Tom Douglas's many restaurants throughout Seattle, Tory Mann has a front row seat to the city's diverse food scene. Tara Dankowski spoke with Tori recently about her favorite places to eat in the city, as well as must-eat dishes at her own acclaimed restaurant. I'm here with Tori Mann, the chef at Lola. Um, in our dining guide, we called Lola the best Greek-inspired food in Seattle, and it's just a 10-minute walk from the Washington State Convention Center. So thanks for being on the podcast, Tori. Thank you for having me. Um, we are thrilled to have you, and I guess I wanted to start by asking you, what are some of your favorite dishes at your restaurant, Lola, right now? Well, Lola is a fun restaurant. We are Greek-inspired, but we also source all of our produce 
from local farms, and we have our own farm out in Prosser, Washington, with the company, the Tom Douglas Restaurant Group, has a farm. So we source as much as we can from them and from local farms. And right now we have some awesome vegetarian dishes on our evening dinner menu featuring lots of seasonal vegetables from our favorite farms. But we also have an amazing brunch program here. We are known for our egg benedict have a hash that has octopus in it for an interesting breakfast. That sounds great. And um, do, you get a, do you get a chance to check out the other Tom Douglas restaurants or what those chefs are working on? I sure do. I'm super lucky to be able to go around to the other restaurants, and we have a lot of conversations in between the chefs on what we're serving and different ideas of what we're headed towards our menus, and uh, we have lots of favorite ones. The Dahlia Lounge, Tom's original restaurant, is directly across the street on 4th Avenue, and that's a great classic Seattle restaurant featuring local seafood and organic meats, and again, lots of vegetables on their menu. We're kind of a, working towards becoming a more vegetable-centric restaurant group. It's, uh, time moves on here, so we enjoy that. And there's a few more that are right close to us here. Uh, attached to the Deli Lounge, there's our pizza company, Serious Pie. It's a wood-fired pizza, and I think it's some of the best crust in the entire city. And they feature about 12 different pizzas. That's a great place to stop in and get a quick bite. Have our Asian, somewhat Asian-inspired restaurant right around the corner to knock us on. They have lots of really fun, interesting food as well, but we're surrounded by restaurants downtown, and there's even more in the Tom Douglas group that are nearby. That's great. Um, so to that vegetable-centricness, you know, I, I also read that you and your family have a garden and raise chickens and like to go foraging. Um, so, you know, getting away from downtown, do you have any favorite markets or restaurants that you consider kind of farm-to-table or forest-to-table dining that you like to go to? Uh, you know, the best ones are meals that I've had that are farm-to-table and forest-to-table are definitely at my own home. <laughs> <laughs> there's definitely ones we go to around and markets we stop in at. Uh, there's some great seasonal farmer's markets that go throughout the year in some of the neighborhoods. I live out in West Seattle, which is uh, it's the south of the city. We have a farmer's market every Sunday. But there's always the Pike Place Market right downtown where you can go and check out what farms are offering and see all sorts of fresh and seasonal food. The market's always a great place to go when you're in Seattle. There's great places to stop for snacks, like that Misam Pastry has an amazing humbau. There's a spot called Pierogi Pierogi that has all sorts of sweet and savory pierogies. And, of course, the original Starbucks is there. Great. Um where are your favorite places to go for seafood? In this city, uh, we have tons and tons of options for seafood, so I have a couple different suggestions. Of course, in our restaurant group, we have Edda's and Seatown, which are also right down in the market, and they're always sourcing directly from the market and have beautiful seafoods and clam chowder. Uh, Edda's is known for their clam chowder, and then Seatown has great uh, crab dishes all the time on the menu and other exciting seafood dishes. When I go for sushi, I prefer Sushi Capo Tamura. That's a restaurant over in Eastlake. They just have some of the most beautiful, fresh sushi. And if you're in the mood to try something a little different, you can visit uh, Taylor Shellfish. There's a few locations around the city, but there is one right in Pioneer Square, and there's one on Capitol Hill. And Taylor Shellfish is a shellfish company that cultivates a lot of really beautiful oysters, and they were the first in the nation to figure out how to cultivate gooey duck. So if you're up for a real challenge, they always offer gooey duck crudos on their menu. Oh, that's phenomenal. 
Um, do you have any spots that you like to visit in the Chinatown International District area? Oh, there's tons of places down there, and you can wander into lots of different spots. But I have a couple places that I like to go for a dim sum. We go to uh, Ocean Star and Jade Garden, both depending on how long the lines are at each in the morning on the weekends. And there is a delightful little bakery called Suji Bakery that has beautiful Japanese pastries as well. Great. Um, Seattle has kind of a reputation for being pretty pretty craft beer forward too, and you know you guys have your share of cocktail bars. Um, where do you go for a drink, or where do you recommend people go for a drink? I don't even know where to start with all the delightful breweries and brew houses that are open. I'm sure there's plenty of tour guides out there that you could follow, but there's a bunch down south of the city. Schooner Exact is one of my favorites, just in the Soto neighborhood south of the city. And Seattle Beer Company and Seattle Cider Works both have tap rooms down there as well to check out. Uh, inside the city, there's a bunch of beautiful cocktail bars that you can find, but some of my favorites, uh, No Anchor, opened up last year, and they have lots of really interesting beers and some interesting cocktails paired with interesting bites there. And for your classic cocktails, uh, Cortina, which is attached pretty much to the convention center a few blocks away, a lot of really beautiful drinks as well. And then if you hit Ballard up, which is a neighborhood north of the city, it is chock-a-box full of breweries. Awesome. And, yeah, kind of getting to the, the neighborhood side of things, if, you know, someone was visiting and they wanted kind of a more off-the-beaten-path neighborhood where they can browse and shop and nibble and eat really great food, um, where do you send them? I mean, I'm, I'm a West Seattle girl at heart. I would send them there. It's an awesome opportunity to get a super classic Seattle Today, there is a water taxi that leaves right from the ferry dock on the waterfront downtown, just, you know, probably a mile from the convention center, and you can take a water taxi or a small ferry across to West Seattle, and right at the dock there, there is a Hawaiian-Korean kind of hybrid restaurant called Marination Makai, that means by the sea, and they have, you know, Hawaiian-inspired tacos and spam sliders, and you can easily journey up into the main of West Seattle, which has a little shopping area that's full of shops. There's an Easy Street Record Store, which is one of our kind of the last classic record store in our city that has a ton of vinyl and old and vintage records that you can peruse. There's another fantastic bakery in the junction in West Seattle called Bakery Nouveau that has just beautiful French pastries. Once again, there's that farmer's market that runs all through the street there on Sunday, which is fun to visit. And there's other little spots that you can dip in and taste along the way. That water taxi sounds so cool. <laughs> it, it's a pretty interesting adventure, and you get spectacular views of the city at the same time. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, Tori, any final thoughts on any hidden gem restaurants or bars or food stalls or anything at all that you'd recommend to someone who has a few days in town? Uh, there's a couple restaurants in our restaurant group that are just spectacular that I love going to all the time. Uh, Carlisle Rooms is right across from the Paramount Theater and just right up the street from the convention center. And Chef Desi over there does a fantastic job with vegetables, but they have other beautiful fare as well and a fun cocktail program. And they have DJs on Friday and Saturday night late for a fun atmosphere. And then some good friends of mine just opened up a Szechuan and Yunnan, Yunnan rather, restaurant on Capitol Hill called Plenty of Clouds. And their food is just something new and exciting for the Seattle scene to see. And we've really been enjoying going up there. Excellent. Tori, thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you so much, Tara. Looking forward to seeing everyone in the restaurant in the next few weeks. 
Looking for even more places to eat while in Seattle? Turn to the new issue of American Libraries, where you can find a guide to the city's best restaurants, written by the author of Frommer Seattle Day by Day, 28 Smart Ways to See the City. The restaurants are broken down by neighborhood, complete with price ranges and serving hours, so you'll always know it's open. There's also a link to an interactive online map to help you find restaurants easy. And for those of you without a print issue handy, you can of course find all of this and much more at AmericanLibrariesMagazine.org. Happy eating. Emily Cabanis has an enviable job. For those of you who may have missed the short piece we did on her in the recent issue of American Libraries, Emily is a company librarian and music assistant for the Seattle Opera, where she helps make sure the artistic, music, and production departments have the materials they need. Naturally, Emily was the perfect person to speak with about music, arts, and entertainment happenings in the city during midwinter. Here's our talk. All right, we are here with Emily Cabanis from the Seattle Opera. Emily, welcome to the Dewey, uh, Dewey Decibel Podcast. Thank you. Glad to now, be here. Now, you are a librarian for the Seattle Opera. How, I guess, my first question was, I, I didn't know that the, a, the Seattle Opera had a library. I did after we, we featured you in our, our new issue of uh, American Libraries, but I guess, how did you become an opera librarian, and what does an li opera librarian do? Those are two really good questions. Um, I became the librarian at the opera because I was selling tickets at the opera. Um, I went to the University of Washington Information School for my MLIS. And while I was in graduate school, I sold tickets here for my jobby job. So I was already an opera fan. And the company had actually not had an information professional before. They decided to start hunting for a librarian about six months after I had finished library school, and I was still working, looking for work and still selling tickets, so I kind of um, slid into that one. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, every opera company has um, an orchestra librarian, which is a person whose job it is to prepare orchestra parts for the players. Um, they put all the conductor's markings in. They make sure that every player is working out of the same music and that it's legible and all of that stuff. But that work doesn't incorporate the preservation and access and description of, you know, what we think of with ALA as, like, library work. And so there's always been a librarian here, um, but I'm the first, like, information professional librarian. Um, and I've always been an opera fan. I actually started coming to Seattle Opera when I was in high school because we had a program and still have a program where local high schoolers could come to the dress rehearsals. So I, and I obviously didn't know it was a job either because it wasn't, it was created and I happened to be the first one. <laughs> um, yeah, lucky. but yes, I'm super lucky. It's incredibly serendipitous. And um, so what I do day to day is um, care for our company's archives, um, which, you know, a lot of people can testify to archives exist even if there's not an archivist. Um, so I care that for that stuff and do a lot of backlog work um, and catalog our really vast collection of scores and books um, and recordings and resources that we use to actually produce the opera. Um, yeah. That sounds awesome. You, I, it is you know, awesome. I think you have one of the best jobs ever, honestly. <laughs> um, Thank you. 
Um, now, Seattle, Seattle itself. Yeah. I think. Um, I mean, you you work your librarian, but you also work in the in the music community. I think when people think of Seattle, of course, you know, they think of grunge and all of that, which yeah. is, which is great. I mean, Seattle has such a but Seattle has such a wide and diverse, rich music scene. Jimi Hendrix, The Sonics, Heart, Sir Mix-a-Lot, mm-hmm. can go on and on, back and <laughs> forth with the the, the musicians and that have come out of Seattle. Um, what do you what do you as 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 someone who lives there? What where do you go to see music, and where do you recommend uh, any librarians that are that are coming to to, to Seattle for the, for that for our midwinter meeting? Uh, where can they go? What can they see? I mean, I love the Crocodile. It's probably my favorite non-classical venue in Seattle. Um, it's located in Belltown, and I would say it is such an enjoyable venue that I would go see a show at the Crocodile even if I didn't know who was playing because oh, I just awesome. always, yeah, they have just fantastic people come through all the time, great openers. And so I would recommend heading up the crocodile if you're looking for whatever is traveling through town. Um, as far as, you know, really hyper-local Seattle stuff, uh, ALA Midwinter is going to be taking place during the very end of the Seattle Chamber Music Society's Winter Festival. Yeah, and it's awesome. It's going to be, I think it wraps up on the 26th or the 27th. And they, during their winter, during their chamber music festivals, they have free concerts and paid concerts. Um, and so you can like attend, you know, free open rehearsals where there are Q and A's and things like that. Um, and just, they're always a fantastic lineup of musicians. Uh, I think one, in particular, is on Saturday, January 26th. Uh, they're going to do Hindemith Britain and Schubert. Um, all of these performances take place at the Nordstrom Recital Hall, which is one of the performance spaces in Benaroya Hall. Um, and that's downtown where the Seattle Symphony plays. So, I mean, that's, I mean, I'm going to go to that <laughs> while everyone is in town. Um, I don't know if you're, looking for more classical recommendations or for more um, mainstream recommendations. But those are the two venues, like, if I was going to, you know, pick two spots to see new music, that's what I would check out is those two. I have to say, obviously, we're going to be closing Trovatore that weekend as well. Yes, and Seattle so Opera. I would, yeah, at Seattle Opera. And I would recommend coming to see that. Um yeah, we're going to – tickets are for sale two hours before the show starts. Um, and I we haven't opened Trovatore yet, so I can't say too much about it, but I think it's really – it's a really good production. We have a really star lineup of singers, and oh. I just wouldn't miss it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if any Verity fans, you know what you're doing on uh, that Saturday in Seattle. Yeah. Now, um, what, do, you, do, you, do you have any other, um, music, besides music, are there any other places that, that Seattle visitors, someone that you, you knew they were coming to Seattle, uh, things that they should see, like off the beaten path, things that you're not going to find in your, your travel guides? Are there any places, must-see, Emily-recommended places in Seattle? Yeah, I'm going to recommend two or three. Um, so I love going to the movies. 
I mean, I like seeing music, but I work in music, and so I kind of don't always want to sit in the theater and be like, well, well. Um, So I love going to the movies, and I really recommend if you are in Seattle that you pay a visit to the Grand Illusion Cinema, which is Seattle's oldest nonprofit theater. And I'm a member because it's around the corner from my apartment. Um, But it's a very small, very good movie theater, and um, they often bring in a lot of stuff that's a little weird. Um, While... uh, ALA is happening, they do a series called Saturday Secret Matinees where they show uh, kind of like B-movie, like weird junky stuff. But they also, um, yeah, they're also going to be um, showing uh, Andre Rublev by Tarkovsky. They oh, do, I, I don't know. Yeah, so that's going to be what's on um, during ALA, or actually, I'm so sorry, I'm looking and it's going to close right before. So come early for midwinter and go see that <laughs> at the Grand Illusion. Um, they're going to have Shoplifters, which is a movie that's kind of making the rounds right now. Um, another thing that I would recommend is Friday night before um, midwinter really kicks in for the weekend, uh, there is a happy hour, a secret happy hour. I'm about to tell every librarian about it on this podcast at the Swedish Club which is a uh, cultural center in Seattle that has a fantastic view of South Lake Union um, and is also one of the only places in Seattle where you can buy Aquavit. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it's super. Um, so those are recommendations. Yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, going out and seeing things, I think obviously the Grand Illusion Cinema is what I would visit. Um, if you like movies, SIF is also in Uptown. Um, and uh, another spot that I think is really unique and interesting in Seattle is Volunteer Park and the Seattle Asian Art Museum, which are located in North Capitol Hill. Oh, lovely. I now yes. have things to do in Seattle. This is perfect. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. uh, Emily, thank you so much uh, for, for giving us these tips. These are invaluable. And, uh, yeah, all of our listeners, you now know what to do when you're in Seattle. Emily, thanks so much. Thank you a lot. Uh, yeah. That wraps another episode of the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Thanks again to Rick Steves, Tori Mann, and Emily Cabanis for giving us the Seattle Lowdown. Join us next month as we examine how librarians are helping and can help small businesses and entrepreneurs. If you'd like to find us in the meantime, look for us on Twitter or Facebook, or you can shoot me a personal email at deweydecibel at ala.org. Show ideas, praise, complaints, anything. Let us have it. iTunes users iTunes users out there, please be sure to rate us and review us. It helps us rise in the rankings. We can reach more ears. And also, this is big news. You can now find us on Spotify. Very exciting. As always, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. <laughs>